Welcome back to another episode of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. Today, I'm joined by our usual crew, which is Jack, Lawrence, and DY. Now, I believe this is the last episode before your holiday. Is that right, Jack? Yes, it is. That's right. Mate, I've never seen you smile so much. In fact, I don't think I've ever seen you smile at all. So uh, I'm going to start off with you, my man. How are you How are you feeling pre, pre-holiday? Because we're going to do a bit of a catch up with all the boys today. We'll, uh, we'll start with you, man. Yeah, I'm feeling good. So I, I wrapped up my mini cut recently, about a week and a half ago, and dropped from yeah the around 95 and a half to 88 and a half. So solid amount of weight dropped there. And now pretty much a fairly aggressive bump up in calories after. So I, I think we dropped by like over 1500 calories and I came up by about 1200 calories. So um, that's been good. And I've filled out nicely back up to roughly 90 kilos um and yeah training's training's honestly been pretty tough just because i've extended my block of training um from like the usual six to seven weeks to roughly nine weeks but uh, i'd see kind of just it's the uh light at the end of the tunnel so to speak so not only a few days left of training before i'll be pretty much deloading for three and a half weeks which is the Mm. longest the longest break in training i've had for many many years probably since 20 2018 mm, are you so you're actually taking that whole time off while you're away from training uh we'll probably only train twice a week i'd say so not complete break but uh yeah a fairly decent amount mm, have you kind of mapped out the like the gyms that you're going to train at if you do end up deciding to, to get in some sessions honestly not really like it's it's very much a relaxed holiday for us so i mean as I'm sure people would expect me to like be, I don't know, tracking my macros over there. Or I've had clients tell me that they're like, oh, I'm sure you'll be training six days a week still, or whatever, or five days a week. But I think I surprised them by saying that, no, I'm, it's, that's really not the priority of the trip. Mm, that's fair. Yeah. No, I'm a big, I'm a big advocate for taking a little bit of time off like that. Just taking a little bit of a sort of training deload, lifestyle deload, and kind of putting it all into, into one and, and calling mm. it a holiday. Definitely. Yeah, no, that's good, man. That's, uh, that's, that's great. And obviously you haven't had one for a, a good stretch. So, and yep. I doubt, I very much doubt like a couple of weeks is really going to play that, that much of a detriment to your overall success with bodybuilding mm-hmm. in the long term, right? If no. anything, you're probably coming back feeling super fresh and, and ready to hit it. Yep. What about you, uh, DY? Where, where are things at, man? So I finished up my mini cup pretty much last week. So pretty much calories right now are about 400 less than what I was when I was in my peak off season. going to play these first couple of weeks a little bit slower than what I would usually would and just get accustomed to the new training program as well. I've started volume actually quite low, probably per muscle group. And then as I increase food, I'm just going to slowly increase the volume as well. So I'm looking, um, I'm very excited because we've got a big, big gaining phase uh, on the coming up here. So I'm excited to get after it, but, other than that, man, nothing, nothing too unusual. Just pick it pretty much running like a push-pull leg split now. One of my favorites. So really get, I, I really do enjoy it. There's just something about running an OG push-pull leg split that, you know, just, just has me feeling good. So hopefully that makes some serious gains. Um, but mm. I actually got bitten by a sausage dog uh, this week. So the viewers won't be able to see, but one of my sausage dogs took me arm. Um, so I had to alter the training. Uh, yeah. Those little sausage mm. dogs, man. So if you see me wearing some uh, fresh, long-haired brown uh, UGG boots around the house, you know you know where that sausage dog went. 
Is that because um, you were just you were getting so lean that it just looked at you and it was just like we were that piece of meat right there. It's just yeah. <laughs> nah, uh, one of them likes to play fetch with the ball. I might as well tell the story now. And um, but the other one just like tries to take the ball to be annoying. So like I was playing fetch with it and it was just, like taking the ball. I could see it was getting a bit out of hand. Like they were about to have like a little bit of a fight. So I went to take the ball and then the one that obviously takes the ball for a little bit of a piss take, um, pretty much then went, hey. The other dog's got the ball, so he's just gone at him, and I've just separated the two dogs. But the the little uh, annoying one just grabbed hold of my arm and just wouldn't let go. Um, so yeah, pretty much had to go to like the hospital, get a tetanus shot, and all that. So it wasn't a very fun time. Main concern was obviously my pool day that was right after it. So there was definitely some alterations made because I wasn't able to grip anything. My hand was so sore just because of the uh, dog bite. But yeah, mm, I can imagine dog, that's man. that's when you'd start pulling out the the cuffs and doing like rear delt flies and pull downs with the the elbow cuff and things like yeah, that what sort of fun. adaptations did you have to do to your plan yeah it was funny because lawrence came in and i'm sitting there i was pretty much just spotting him like half my workout um there was only so much i could do because i couldn't realistically grip anything so my first exercise was exactly what you said like pretty much like a single arm cuffed pullover so i pretty much ran like five sets of that and then I went with a light rowing exercise where I pretty much just went like full tempo, pretty much like probably like 20% of my normal weight that I would use on like a chest supported T-bar row. And then I pretty much just tried to do a, uh, a cuffed a bicep curl, but <laughs> it was shit. <laughs> I don't know how much stimulus I would have got off that, but it was just like kind of going through the motion. I was just kind of there because I really do enjoy being at the gym on like the Sunday, you know, chatting shit with like Lawrence, like, you know, spotting him some on some of those leg exercises. So it was, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, got it, got it done, but now it's feeling good and it didn't, doesn't affect any of my workouts mm. anymore. So mm. that's when you know you're truly dedicated is you're willing to completely adapt your program to include a bunch of like cuff stuff that, you know, in terms of overall stimulus may not have been the most, you know, productive workout, but the fact that you're in there still getting it done, like it's certainly better than absolutely nothing. That's for sure. 10 by 10 cuffed pullovers. That had to be done. DVT. We're yeah. at it. I actually got my, uh, te- I got my blood test done again. I was like, stuff it. You know what? I'm going to get the blood test done. Cause last time I went, I didn't actually get my testosterone measured. So, um, I ended up going in and getting that done and I was, uh, 21. So the reference range is normally 10 to 32. So for all the listeners, you know, uh, it was around about 21. I think free test as well was around about like 480. So yeah. Mm, natty boy. That's for all the, the, all the haters out there that says yeah. wise <laughs> on, on the gas. Yeah. I wasn't surprised that was, I was surprised when it wasn't 32. Cause I'm like, like I'm nearly the size of DC here. So I thought it definitely would have been on the upper of the reference range, but you know, shame it wasn't. Mm. How about you, Lawrence, my man, where, where, uh, where are things at with you? How many weeks out are we sitting? How's our rate of loss? How's the energy, et cetera. Yeah. I've been good, man. We will be 15 weeks out this weekend from show number one of the season I had a really big drop over last week, actually. Like I'm, because I stay sometimes at my house, sometimes at Gemma's house, I don't always weigh in in the mornings. It's something that I'm I'm going to start to take the scale around with me so I can get them a bit more consistently. But like there was one, I think it was like maybe three days apart or whatever where I weighed in and just completely like bypassed the 87s. Like I woke up on Sunday and I weighed in, I think it was like 86.8. Whereas like the start of the week, it was like low 88s, which obviously that was just a little bit of an anomaly. This week has been mainly mid 87s, which is probably about right for where I am 
um, visually. So yeah, all in all, sort of like five, like, yeah, I guess like five and a bit kilos down for the prep and feeling really good, man. Like I would say that last week I probably had, I probably had one day where I had like a little bit of a wobble of just, you know, didn't have a great night's sleep, didn't have a great morning. This was probably the morning actually that I was in with, with DY. And I was like that combination of self-doubt creeping in, overthinking a few things, but I think I just needed to, you know, I bounced some ideas off DY and he was like, nah, mate, you're all sweet. Like, don't worry about it. And you know, the, the energy levels are still really, really good. To be honest, I've been sleeping really well. I'm certainly looking forward to meals now. Like I get to the meal time and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm actually, I'm ready to eat this. But you know, as soon as I finish it, I'm sort of wait 10 minutes and I'm like, oh yeah, that's fine. Like I don't, don't need any more food at this point. And I haven't really changed anything with regard to food selection at this point. I'm, I'm pretty much eating the same stuff that I normally would. So I'm really trying to wait as long as possible before we break out any of those more voluminous options. But Mate, I'm, I'm very happy with how we're looking. I think that compared to where I was this time in 2020 at a similar amount of weeks out, like I think there's, you know, a substantial difference across all of the shots. So yeah, I'm very pleased with how it's all going and just need to keep cruising in. I think Joey in my recent check-in said we might include a, um, like a short three-day refeed next week. Um, so he's obviously quite happy with how it's all going. Mm, fantastic man and do you find with your weight trends and you all of you boys can probably answer this but do you notice that you tend to drop a little bit more across like a fortnight or a week-to-week basis in terms of consistency because i remember back on my prep and there were many there was many occasions where across like a single week there would be no weight loss but then i would see a very like assertive drop in in scale weight the following week and some some fortnights it was actually super routine like that where every fortnight was my drop and I wouldn't see it across the week. And, you know, if, if Brandon was to base my progress off maybe just a single week, it would look like I'm actually not moving, but visually I'm I'm a bit leaner. So do you guys notice there's that in place or are you someone who sort of sees consistent changes on the scales each week? Yeah, I say it's pretty consistent across the week, but for me, it's definitely like the end of the week is when I get like a little bit of that whoosh, I guess you could say. So like throughout the first, you know, Monday to Friday, there might be a little bit of movement, but it's almost comical at this point as to how predictable it is where on Sunday when I wake up, they'll always be my lowest. And I don't know, maybe it's a combination of a few different things, but mm. I guess that's where getting into the pointier end of prep, you know, I'll just need to make sure that I'm taking my body weight scales with me just so that I'm getting as much data to Joey as possible so that he's not you know, guessing off only a couple weigh-ins because that can start to skew the picture. But, you know, for now where things are pretty straightforward, um, yeah, I, I don't mind missing the odd day. And the interesting thing is that despite, you know, how much weight I've lost, I've still only like made one adjustment. So the only adjustment to food that we've made was when I started prep. So since prep started, I haven't actually changed macros at all. I've just been continuing to lose on the same, which I don't even remember it happening for this many weeks in a row last time, which hmm. I don't really know why that is, but hey, I'm not complaining. What about the like relative rate of loss? Are you still sort of chipping away at the same amount of grams per week or is that kind of slowed down over time? Well, I don't even know if I keep enough of an eye on that, to be honest. Like I would say that it's probably, it's probably been pretty similar, to be honest. Like 
yeah, I would. I think Joey would have a better idea as sort of percentage wise because he's thinking about those numbers a lot more. But you know, it, it is always that pretty predictable sort of a little bit of stagnate, big drop towards the end of the week. And I think the thing I've been most happy with is that each week visually I can see that I'm getting leaner, which I guess has been the reason why he hasn't prompted too much more of a, a decrease in calories at this point. Mm, no, that's cool. I find in prep, there is like a point in time where you start to see more of that visual change per week. And it's obviously like as you get leaner and leaner because let's say losing four or 500 grams at the start of prep can look a whole lot different to losing it like at the end, you know, towards the end of prep in terms of its relative amount of, you know, body fat percentage that that, that is coming off you. And um, it's it's very like exciting to see that each week, right? Like you look at your photos, you're like, oh, I can see an extra line here. Like, this is cool. Perhaps that 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 glute line is starting to present a little bit more from that side shot. And then, you know, all of a sudden it starts to present in the middle a little bit more from the rear shot or the leg that you're striking back in terms of that, you know, lat spread or, or rear double bicep sort of thing. So no, nah, that's exciting, man. Well, uh, yes. And then in terms of myself, uh, been a little bit sick over the last sort of week and a bit and um, I'm pretty good now, but I just had this sort of lingering congestion, which has been super annoying. Uh, but training performance is is really good. And I was, I was super happy with my progress last week. I uh, hit some triples with the, the 140 on the pause bench. So that felt really, really good. And I don't think I'm far off from hitting hitting some fives uh, with that. So that's a bit of a, a lifetime goal. And they'll probably be the strongest I've ever been on a flat press before, which is very cool. Uh, but yeah, everything's everything's good. A little bit more of a, a quiet time now that, that competitions have, have wrapped up. And uh, AJ, who was my last competitor for the season, did his last comp on the weekend, which was the, the INBA uh, New South Wales show did phenomenally there. Came first across the novice divisions in classic and um, and bodybuilding, and then second uh, in the overalls in in both classic and bodybuilding as well. So he did immensely well. We did something like nine shows in eight weeks. Like it was just insane. the The guy's work ethic is just like second to none. You know, I cannot fault anything. He, he basically what I said goes, and he just you know he executed the plan exactly. And it's always a pleasure working with those individuals that you know, have that trust in the system and, um, you know, are able to execute it, but also with just like a, a spring in their step as well, like just so ecstatic and passionate about the, the physique sports as well. So it's, it's, uh, I mean, that's what we, that's what we love about what we do, right. When, when we get to work with those sort of individuals. So. Yeah. You wouldn't so, think of dieting, would you? No, no yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. And like, we'd have, you know, a few phone calls uh, over the course of the week and even just in conversation, like you'd always be really excited. And even towards the, you know, the hardest digging weeks of prep, the guy was still, you know, ecstatic and excited in his check-ins and everything. So yeah, it, you know, and we all know what it's like when we're absolutely digging in that sort of dark place, just how hard some of those days can be. Mm. And sometimes it's hard to show emotion when you're in that, in that uh in that phase as well so yeah pr props to him but um let's uh let's get into our questions we've got some great listener questions this week and uh the first question that we did have was at what point does someone go from being a competitor to an athlete is it based on attaining a certain athletic achievement is it associated with you know um mental side of things physical side of things like what what you know how would you deem yourself more of a, an athlete and competitor I mean, personally, I don't think there's much of a distinction between the two, right? I mean, I feel like, uh, well, actually, sorry, I think they're they're quite similar, and it's almost just a bit of a bit of a label, don't you think? But what what do you think, Lawrence? What do you think about about that? 
Yeah, I mean, I would normally almost say that those are very similar. Maybe the question to ask you is sort of meaning more along the lines of, you know, when do you go from a, let's say, when do you go from someone who's like a hobby builder into like a competitor or when do you go from someone who is in the gym to exercise versus in the gym to train? And I think that a big part of it is probably the amount of effort you're putting towards the actual planning and, you know, periodization that goes into your training. Like if you're going into the gym, you know, after work to move some weights around and to get your blood pumping and feel good, that's fantastic. You're probably still going to get as much of the health benefits to resistance training, you know, both physical and psychological. But if you're wanting to take it to that next level, you can't really be just going in and seeing what feels good and seeing what you want to do on the day you do need to have a bit more of a plan to make sure you're hitting the right muscles and make sure you're hitting everything enough across the week. So I think if you're trying to consider whether or not you're at that point where maybe you're interested in competing, maybe you're interested in taking your gym training a little bit more seriously, but you're still kind of going in and fluffing about a bit, I think a plan is probably the most important thing or, you know, getting hold of a coach, someone who can point you in the right direction and give you a bit of structure. Absolutely. What about you, Dubai? I I was about to say, I reckon there's the difference, probably something similar to what they're trying to say is like the participant and then you've got a competitor. The participant pretty much rocks up there, you know, pays the bills for the show. Like they're there for a little bit of shits and gigs. They, they, you know, somewhat enjoy it, but a competitor's there to, you know, they've got a job at hand. They're coming in, they're giving it a hundred percent, the entire prep. They know what they're after um, where the participant, you know, realistically, they're not going to have the same goals as what the competitor will have. The competitor wants to win a majority of the time. They want to be there. They want to be the absolute best they can be where the participant sits there, rocks up, you know, they enjoy the process. Maybe they're not really fixated on a goal. Um, and that's probably the, the two difference that I would probably say that in this situation, I think what separates them is pretty much just how much you put in. Like, I think as an athlete or a competitor, you know, when you've truly given enough, like, you know, DC, you pretty much probably ran, there, there was not a single drop left in that tower probably by the end of that season. Like, you know, you're a competitor. You, you knew what it took. You gave it absolutely everything. You trusted your coach. Um, and when you've obviously got like the participant, there's there's still a bunch left in that towel. And I think deep down inside, they know it. Um, but yeah, that's probably the distinction. But like having a, like what Lawrence said, having a plan, having a coach, having the same vision, the vision's clear. You know what you want to do as the competitor where the participant realistically probably doesn't have that clear vision and is goal driven or result driven Mm, any follow-ups jack not really no i think uh yeah that hits the nail on the head Mm, absolutely i i think look i think both are just used very interchangeably right but there is certainly a distinction between someone who just takes it to that next level versus someone who is you know willing to participate and and i guess you know being the athlete in the off season and the contest prep you know sometimes what you entail as as being on or being on point is is a lot different to you know someone else in their off season right where someone who will maybe tick 70% of the boxes in the off season versus that competitor that ticks 100% of those boxes in the off season can look completely different and it i guess it just comes down to what that individual is willing to sacrifice in order to you know attain that goal that they have in place number 2 underrated or overrated exercises what do you boys think i'm going to start with you dy 
What do you think is an underrated exercise and perhaps an overrated exercise? I think one is probably the glute hyperextension. I reckon that is uh, quite underrated. I think a lot of people tend to opt for like a barbell. Extension. Yeah, yeah, like a back extension, um, but using it obviously for glutes, so like a 45 degree. I reckon a lot of people run a glute thrust over, which I think is probably actually quite overrated compared to when you run the uh, back extension. Jack's been running them for a while. He don't run no thrust. He's got some good glutes on him. Um, and I just think it's one that's opted for. Another one is probably the barbell deadlift. You could probably argue this either way because I think it's a very underrated exercise. But then for a lot of people, I also think it's a very overrated exercise. But um, yeah, I reckon the 45-degree glute hype is definitely one that is probably quite underrated and then is put underneath a, a glute thrust variation where I think probably, in my opinion, it's probably the other way around. Mm. what about you jack what do you reckon for one underrated exercise mm. one overrated exercise yeah so underrated at least in australia i would say is probably the stiff leg deadlift i don't see too many people in oz doing that especially compared to the uk maybe i'm just biased as to who i who i follow on instagram but having run it for a while myself like it i think it does have different merits you can certainly make it more hamstring biased than something like the RDL, which is naturally a bit more glute biased, especially if you have more knee flexion in the RDL. And then overrated, I I think I touched on this um, maybe last episode, but people doing like wide grip pull downs for like pure lat development, I think probably opting for something with a more narrow elbow path is more ideal for lats. And maybe a wider group is probably better for Terry's as opposed to lats. Yeah, those mm -hmm. would be my choices. And what about you, Lawrence? Yeah, I'm going to say underrated. I'll probably say the seal row, just because I don't see that being used a ton either at my gym club lime or the one at powerhouse. I don't see that used a lot. And I think the seal rows are a great piece of kit. In terms of overrated, I'm not too sure. Like there's a lot of general training principles that I think can be a little bit overrated or where people maybe put a bit more credence in them than they should. So I don't know if I can think of one exercise in particular, maybe something like a front raise, you know, probably a bit redundant for 99% of people. But I think as far as underrated goes, I'll probably say the seal row. Mm, for sure. Uh, for myself, I think underrated exercises, uh, I mean, I would say a lot of like abduction exercises for, for the glutes. I think, you know, I, I feel like women are, are more um, aware of the importance of, you know, training the upper glutes through abduction-based movements, but I don't think many, many men do much abduction work whatsoever. Um, and I think it's still still important. Like, I mean, I still think it's important to develop strong glutes for, for men. So, you know, there's no reason as to why men shouldn't be doing some abduction work within their within their programming. And I'm going to say it, boys, but I think the iliac, the iliac pull is, uh, is an overrated exercise. Um, I, I guess, you know, I look at it from the, the perspective of, I mean, why hasn't something like the, the plate-loaded front lat pull-down received the same hype as something like a cable iliac pull? Like, I can still get myself into the same position, pulling from a, you know, 45-degree angle, so to speak, um, I can still bias my lats using that particular piece of machinery, but why isn't that hyped? Why is it the cable variation that seems to develop this associated hype? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's what, that's what I, I think. 
Jack, is it too late to terminate the contract <laughs> after those words? Well, I think the key there is that they, they run off the same mechanics, don't they? Yeah, similar mechanics. I mean, obviously the the plate loaded uh, lap pull down will, will be a little bit different in terms of its force length curve. So the way which the, you know, the, the um, I guess the weight pivots off its single axis is a little bit different to perhaps something like the cable, but the premise still remains and that you're, you're pulling in a similar trajectory and uh, you know, you're tucking the elbow, you're keeping the scapula a little bit more forward, biasing the lats, but that's not an exercise that's hyped. Like that's not, that's kind of not sexy at the moment, right? No one's really talking about that as, as being similar to an iliac pull down, so to speak. And I mean, back in my day, that was just called a high row. So, you know, just yeah. putting that out there as well. But uh, well, anyway, yeah. To interrupt, sorry, like Riggs actually has this new, um, it's like a version of the Nautilus pull down, but it has a chest support. So mm. you can brace so much better compared to the traditional Nautilus pull down, which doesn't have any, you're kind of just locked in with your knees, but not with your chest. Whereas this, you can brace against it. And um, yeah, I encourage, when you guys next go to Riggs, I highly recommend giving it a try. It's, it's awesome. Mm, nice. Yeah. Cool. Next question. So uh, asking, this is not so much a question, but more so just sort of a statement here by from one of the listeners, but Basically, the, the, I guess the difference between, you know, asking for feedback from a judge versus sort of complaining to a judge, you know, in terms of maybe the results from a show, things like that. What's your your take on this, Lawrence? Yeah, I don't know if I've actually ever, I've never personally gotten feedback from the judges because I've, I've never felt the need to in the sense of like, I know. No last I, season. Sorry. No need to last season. No, no. They clearly, there was nothing wrong with my, they said I'm a perfect specimen of a human being. But no, I just, in the sense where it's like, I'm not at the level yet where I need hyper-specialization. You know, everything needs to get bigger. Everything needs to keep developing. Yes, there were some shots that were weaker than others, but I don't, I don't know. I just don't feel like I needed the judges specifically to tell me that. Like between me and Joey, I think we pretty much would have agreed with them. I think you know you you don't want to be a you want to be gracious in defeat you know if you had a day out and you think you should have placed better at the end of the day it's a subjective sport so if you're going to make a big song and dance of going up to a judge to complain and to you know make your frustrations known i don't know i think it it reflects probably a lot more about you than it does about the judge because i think that a a competitor even if they have been blatantly overlooked or have received a poor decision i think that it's always important to be gracious in whatever the result is you take it on the chin some days it's not going to go your way even if it maybe seems a little bit unfair because what's the alternative like what are they going to do are they going to call everyone back on stage like you know miss universe style and say no 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 we read the wrong name out like of course it's not going to happen so i think you got to ask yourself like what are you trying to achieve by complaining because it's not going to change the result. You're probably just going to get more angry or more upset with that person. And, you know, you're potentially also then creating a bit of friction between you and someone who is very likely to judge your physique again on a stage. And of course, you know, judges are professionals at what they do. But look, I certainly, if I had the choice, would want to be on good terms with all of them, not bad terms. So I think you have to be very specific about you know going up with grace and saying please can i have some feedback rather than complaining about a result that may not have gone your way mm. Mm. i guess it's like what you want to get out of that 
I guess, uh, interaction, right? So if it's actually because you're trying to get something constructive back in terms of feedback that you can then improve upon, or whether it's more a matter of showcasing, you know, your um, lack of contentment with the end result uh, as a means to, you know, argue it sort of thing. So I think it's a challenging piece because like, you, you, you know, you don't have to agree with what the judges say at the end of the day. You don't have to agree with who they chose as the winner, but I mean, that's a finalized result. And there was a reason as to why, you know, five, six judges on the panel chose a particular competitor to win versus, you know, someone else. And I think we we can always approach it with our own our own biases, right? Like I've sat in the crowd before and watched a competitor and had some one of my competitors up on stage and I've thought, oh, interesting. Like I would have chosen my competitor. And then I'm like, well, yeah, of course I would. Like I, you know, vouching for this person to win. But then there's also been times where, you know, I've had a competitor... Uh, win and I'm thinking, well, oh, it was interesting. I maybe would have gone with 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 someone else in that point um, because of you know X Y Z. But the judges uh, chose this particular person. There's, you know, I'm looking at the the competitors from the very right hand corner of of the stage. I can only see what I can see. I can't see what they're seeing sitting you know sitting right at the front. So, you know, it is is a challenging challenging piece there. But mm. I mean, moving into uh, I guess. Uh, another question here that we've got, which sort of follows up with with feedback and things like that, but how important do you think is the choice of bikini, jewelry, makeup, hairstyle, you know, all these variables when it comes to uh, someone's stage placings? And I'm going to start with you, uh, DY. Well, I think it is going to all add up. Like, you know, when you have a good bikini choice that suits your skin color, your hair color, especially like a tan, like don't go with like an extremely, if you're a bikini competitor, don't go with an extremely poor bikini color compared to your hair. And then it's just going to throw off the whole look that you're going to bring to the stage in the end, especially like for bikini and like female divisions, the overall look is going to play a part in it. Um, and that's just how it is. It always has been, especially with like the IFBB, you've got to have a certain look. They obviously want you to be nice and streamlined. If the bikini and the jewelry also, and the hair also takes away from your overall look, it is going to impact your results on stage. Like, you know, if your hairstyle is completely taking away from your physique, maybe you might have it looking like a, a pineapple on top of your head in the end, that's going to make you look taller it's probably going to bring down some points there might make you look a little bit stringier because your hair's also up. So I think all of it does add up. Do I think it makes that big of a difference? Probably not realistically. If you don't go crazy outrageous with it, like, you know, if you have a somewhat decent bikini color, somewhat decent jewelry choice, don't go crazy with the hair and the makeup as well. Um, I think you're going to be in a good little spot. I think it's when you take it to that super adventurous stage and it, detracts from your physique i think that's when you're going to start probably running into a fair few issues mm, it's probably similar to like how you would approach a peak week right where you're kind of not really introducing a whole bunch of new things like there's a certain way that that you like your hair being styled and makeup which suits and complements your features that's probably what, what i guess what you want to go for you know at the end of the day uh, I do think that bikini color can can match like certain um, hair colors and things like that. Like I think the sort of, uh, you know, the tur turquoise blue goes really well with like blonde hair. And, and I think red can go really well with black hair as an example. I mean, that's not just a hard, fast rule, but there, you know, I think there are perhaps certain colors which do complement certain hairstyles a little bit differently. Does the same go with bodybuilding trunks? Absolutely, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I, I just went, I went with naked colored trunks for my last uh, Queensland show because 
hey, I wanted people to, 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 to look at me and think I was naked and for me to attract most of the looks on stage. So it was somewhat strategic. So it does matter, man. Absolutely. This all does does matter. <laughs> well, I was um, going to ask a follow up. I, I was going to ask a question like, um, what if what if a federation like ICN standardized the bikini? Like what if they just get similar to what they do for classic or men's fitness? Like they just give everyone the same bikini and say, this is what you have to wear for um, makeup and jewelry as well. I think that would be interesting. Obviously, there are pros and cons against it. Mm, yeah, I do think there are a lot of pros and cons there, um, which which maybe we can explore um, at, at another time. Mm. But like, I, I even think, for example, with like your bikini, uh, like, uh, DY, you can probably vouch for this as well with some of your competitors, like even the thickness of uh, like the binders, for example, with how like the, the, the bikini is held on one's physique can, I mean, if your jewelry is just so large that it kind of it detracts and it makes you look at the jewelry as opposed to look at the physique. I think that's probably where competitors has not thought about how it's, it may detract from their physique. What do you, what do you think about that? Even like the certain cut of the bikini, especially like for females, like how they tie in on the glutes and stuff can make even a huge difference. And not even that, like even the smallest things of like the connectors between the front and the back part of the bikini. Mm, that's how long, yeah, the, yeah. The binders or the connectors. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, how long they are. So then therefore you can sit them on your waist. Like, for example, as you know, when you see the UK bodybuilding, how they actually pull up their trunks and it has like that very nice V taper illusion, like, um, like we've all talked about on this podcast, but that can go for the same thing for a female's bikini. I've literally seen a bikini where it's been super tight on the side and she couldn't actually pull it up. So it made her waist look somewhat stocky. But then as soon as she swapped into the other bikini and it had about an extra centimeter or two of height on the side of the hips, it automatically made like her waist tie in a lot better and made her legs look lot, not look so long as well, which is just something small. And funny enough, that was actually one thing that I got from the judges feedback. They just said pretty much like change this in terms of the bikini. We made the alteration and it was there. I actually want to touch on that is like, um, sorry, <laughs> I jump back to that question where it is a subjective sport. So like, you know, you don't need to take what the judges say for, you know, everything that they say, and you don't need to understand it. In the end, you ask them for their feedback on what they thought. You don't need to agree with it, but there's no point on uh, complaining to them at the same time because that's their point of view of what they think that happens. Like, you know, you don't need to accept that. But mm, yeah, absolutely. What about specific to like, you know, we're talking about men's bodybuilding, right? In terms of, because you can get different cuts of even, even the trunks as well. Like I know all for me within BK conditioning, we typically try and get all of our athletes to get like the extreme pro cut version, basically like the, the thinnest possible bodybuilding trunks so that you can obviously showcase like more of your glutes uh i even think like how you sit though just like what you said right with like how how much those trunks are sitting on the hip versus sitting on the waist like i think can play a role in terms of someone's all overall sort of x frame and how stocky or thin someone's waist may look uh yeah i mean i guess if you're coming on you if you if you're on stage and maybe you don't have the most lean glutes maybe it's actually to your disadvantage to show more glutes in terms of being up there. What do you boys think? What do you think, Lawrence? Yeah, I agree. I think it's all about playing to your strengths, isn't it? In sort of the same way how you use certain poses or transitions to hide weak points and to highlight strong points. I definitely say if, if you're coming in with like, you know, peeled out of your mind, strong glutes, you wouldn't want to be having, you know, like a saggy cut that's going to cover them. 
And I think in some instances, you know, you might end up like pulling them sort of up your ass for lack of a better term a little bit so that you can highlight your glutes a bit more. But mm. I definitely think that, yeah, the, the colors and stuff, it's, I understand like Jack's point about like the standardization, but I think that the reason why there's probably a bit more of that, say in the men's fitness is because it is quite a specific cut. And I think you have lads coming in with all sorts of different lengths and it would just be a mess to judge. Whereas bodybuilding trunks are bodybuilding trunks. And I'm sure that if it was all, everyone was coming in with like the black, you know, Arnold era trunks, it would be not quite as of a visual spectacle. Like it's quite cool Mm -hmm. to see all the different colors and that sort of thing. I do agree, like it, it has its pros in terms of standardization. So you can focus on the physique, but you know, part of bodybuilding is the personal expression and the art form. So I think that you would lose some of that. Mm, absolutely. What about DY with uh you're moving into men's men's physique? So like what about the the cut of men's physique board shorts? Like, do you think they should be tighter, looser? Like, what are your thoughts there? I really like like the tight fit on the quads, especially if you've got some good quads. I think it looks absolutely horrendous if they're baggy. If they're baggy like around the knees and it just look it just looks like you pretty much have like, not winning, no I'm legs. Sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I actually have seen someone win with literal straight chopsticks straight through the legs, but we're not gonna go into that uh, with no tapered bodies. But that yeah, was like I, OG men's physique though, like yeah, you know, yeah, like those early pictures of like Steve Cook and Sadiq, those things would hang off them. Yeah, but now even you look like I reposted like Ryan Terry, like his shorts are like extremely tapered around the waist, like the perfect size, and then the quads at the exact same time. So like you can see more of that outer sweep. So it actually gives you more of that X frame when your shorts are just straight up and down, and you're seeing kneecaps hanging out. It just looks real bad. Um, so no like yoga pants on, on, on stage, no like wizard sleeves, like you know, things hanging. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Women's yoga shorts. Yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree. Yeah, I, I think so much more of a standout when you've got those quads sort of beaming through those shorts, right? Just helps with that X frame. And, you know, it is a bodybuilding competition and we understand that like men's physique, you're not really being assessed on your legs as much, but you're certainly being assessed on your silhouette and your, your frame. So yeah, very, very important factor there as well. Moving on to, I guess, a similar sort of question there, but uh, what do you guys think are some common gym fashion crimes? So what is like something you see in the gym and you're like, dude or girl, what are you doing? Like either put some clothes on or don't wear that. What, what do you reckon? What, what's yours, Lawrence? Mate, you know, I've got some pretty strong views on this. I think that there's a couple no-nos, bucket hats, polos, any sort of like, casual wear you know don't be rocking in in like a striped shirt you know like a common need shirt or like some chino shorts that sort of thing those are probably standouts on a practical sense don't be pulling up in like work boots either like some dudes are like coming straight off the site and they're just like trudging like dust and garbage through the gym that's a no-no those are probably the standouts but as you as you boys know i'm normally rocking something that is at least three or four sizes too big for me and just disappearing into it. So that's only going to become more pronounced as prep goes on. So I'm not exactly a fashionista, but it is all still gym wear, I guess you could say. Mm, probably not the per- the best person to ask because uh, I think in prep, like as you get deeper and deeper into prep, right, the, the you get more and more layers on you. You're showcasing less and less of your physique. 
And, yeah, well, uh, I'm the only one in the jumper here because I am. Uh, I'm a little bit chilly, so that that could potentially be a a little hint. Yeah, yeah. What's the? I guess the what's the most amount of layers you've had to put on for for a training session, like towards the back end of your last prep, where you're getting pretty damn cold. Have you got mm. a few a few layers on at that point? Well, I'm sure there would have been session where I had like a, a shirt and then maybe like a thin long sleeve and then the hoodie over the top of that. I'm pretty sure there would have been a couple sessions of that. Like, man, I don't know DY in uh, in America, mate. It's going to be so cold. Like, if I can, if I'm going to struggle through this Australian winter, I don't know how November in, in Seattle, that's going to be tough. I remember stepping off the plane. We went from Australia, which was like 34 degrees. And then you get over there and it was straight negative one as soon as we opened the door to mm. New York. And it just immediately hit you. We were like, holy shit i've never probably been below like probably four or five degrees so when you're sitting there and it's negative one on the first time you ever touch it coming off like a hot plane oh man did that thing uh does that thing hit yeah yeah Mm, mm, for sure what about you dy what's a uh what's a fashionista crime in the gym i feel like i'm not gonna go into girls because i'm gonna get absolutely sexist pig no i'm just uh (laughs) And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that to the potty, especially when someone might be coming on next week. Um, but mm, in terms of guys, I reckon like, I don't mind when people do deadlifts like barefoot, but you gotta wear socks. I saw someone at the gym the other day doing deadies without socks on, and he was picking his toes in between the set. Like, nah, that that's fucked. <laughs> I, <can't... laughs> I will admit, I I. I... I did my RDLs in socks today, but if I conventional deadlift, I will normally, uh, I'll normally get the the dogs uh, out. Yeah, nah. But I'm just, nah, picturing, nah, I'm just you picturing get... like pulling out the toe clippers in, in between. Yeah, yeah, just like a little sense. trim while we're there. Yeah, nah. Oh. Oh. You know, mate, my feet are in great nick. Yeah, no, nah, I don't know. I think I, I don't care if you you got to wear socks, like you know, socks at the bare minimum. If you go on barefoot, and I was like, nah, you got to get some grippy socks or some shit, like go to that bounce once and you know get some of their mm. fucking grippy socks and then that way you're not slipping and sliding around on the platform but i think lawrence covered it all pretty much just like i, I just think bare minimum is socks when doing anything in the gym mm, what about you jack anything uh anything that comes to mind controversial <laughs> not really i'm pretty i try not to be judgmental um so I agree with what Lauren said. I think they're just they're just not practical. Like it's mm. if you're not rocking up in at least some sort of gym wear, then I question your uh, unless there's been a mis- a mistake. Like maybe kids after school they might forget their training shoes. They have to wear their black school shoes. But I think if you're trudging in in a, in a polo and chino shorts, then why are you there? Like mm, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess when I was a, a PT, back when I was doing more face-to-face sessions, like I'd see people come in just wearing thongs, just like no no socks, no shoes, like just straight up thongs and trying to do like deadlifts and leg presses. And I just remember looking at them and being like, is that not embarrassing? Like, did you not walk into the gym thinking like, it's kind of embarrassing I'm wearing fucking flip-flops, like to me, if that if I was walking into a gym with flip flops, I'm sitting down on the leg press to do a set. I'm pe- feeling pretty shit about myself at that point in time. I'm not really going to be content for others to see my feet, you know, hanging around all the all the place. So flip flops different from Crocs, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like they're similar. To be fair, it's a closed shoe. I knew DC would say they're similar. 
No, I reckon it's a close uh, shoe. Uh, I, I mean, I still, I, I still label it as a fashion crime because they just look horrendous. Not when you've about... got those Mandalorian little <laughs> plugs in a mate. There ain't no holes in Lawrence's, man. Oh, that's, a, that's okay then. That's fine. As long as you've got that little Mandalorian Star Wars, you know, sticker sitting exactly. on it. That's, that's all good then, yeah. What about, what about the Yeezy it. ones? You know how you've seen, like, I see Jackson oh, Pios wearing those Yeezy ones. It's like, what, what happens when you pull into there? Is, is the powerhouse going to be like, nah, man, you can't train those. They're not oh, I'll let Pios in, lad. Yeah. I'll let him in. But on a similar question, who who do you think in, in bodybuilding, who's got the toughest fit? Who's got the best, the best drip? Oh, the best drip. I reckon I, I like some of those like guys who rock in, in like the yoga pants, but the it's pajama like zebra, pants? zebra print. Yeah. That looks, I'm just like, that's awesome. They'll be like yeah. zebra print yoga pants with like a pair of atomics and then an enormous jumper. That's Crazy. elite. Hectic. Yeah. I used to have some clients and even just see people in the gym where I used to tra- train at Virgin Active in Moore Park, like, very close to the the city in Sydney and there's some very like wealthy individuals around there and people would rock up to the gym wearing like Balenciaga shoes and like yeah. dripped out with like at least eight grand worth of like your clothes from head to toe and they're doing like box jumps with their two thousand dollar shoes in like a group x class and I'm like what are you doing like that's uh, just the like that's not functional you're just showing your wealth at that point in time yeah yeah, I saw someone pull up in a Lambo at our World Gym uh, about half a year ago, and he gets out and he's got like the full like Yeezys on. Then he's got like uh, he had like a Rolex on as well. He's sitting there doing leg press with a Rolex and like Yeezys. I was like, God damn! What a time is sets. Yeah, I know exactly. I mean, I, well, are you not like concerned you're gonna smack your watch? Like the amount of times I've hit my Garmin on like a leg press or something. Like, are you not concerned that you're just gonna break it? <laughs> Like, yeah, not worth it. But uh, yeah. Anyway, moving on, moving on. Uh, rapid season weight gain. I guess we have just wrapped up our our season recently for like with our competitors and everything. And obviously, we've got a bit of time between you know season A and season B now. And a lot of listeners would probably be in their sort of post recovery phase. We've answered this question before, but I think as coaches, like we're more than happy to revisit this, you know, routinely because obviously seasons roll around, competitors often are concerned with, you know, how quickly or, or slowly should they be transitioning into the off season and you know, is it healthy to gain weight rapidly, et cetera. What's your take on this, Jack? Do you, are you a fan of the recovery phase, the, the um, you know, reverse dieting phase post-show? How do you usually approach it with some of your athletes? Yeah. So usually quite far out, uh, I'll have a chat with my competitor and like basically discuss the recovery phase and, kind of forewarn them that it does bring its challenges and it's going to be important to have, of course, have significantly more flexibility in the recovery phase than we would in uh, the comp prep, but also bear in mind that like it's not complete free reign because if we have complete free reign and we let appetite do its course, like I do know there are some people who can intuitively eat post-comp successfully, but I think they are the exception to the rule essentially because quite naturally our physiology is playing a huge component in terms of influencing our appetite and our desire to eat. So it's like by definition, intuitive eating means listening to your cues, your, your body's cues. And if you did that truly post comp, then you would, you would just wouldn't stop eating essentially. Well, most people wouldn't. So um, I basically dictate the amount of weight gain post comp based off the conditioning they achieve. So 
like for example a bikini icn bikini competitor probably maybe five percent of their stage weight ideally in the first maybe um like six-ish weeks or six to eight weeks and then uh, bodybuilder more like 10 percent of their stage weight in the first like four to six weeks and and also just basing it off how they feel i think there's no point like doing a perfect recovery diet if they also feel mentally like trash like it's it's a huge component is someone's mental health and i i don't want to say this for everyone but i'd almost say like i'd rather someone feel better mentally and feel like on top of the world even if it means that they don't have an ideal like physiological recovery phase and maybe they gain weight too quickly but if they feel fantastic mentally i think that's that's worthwhile in my opinion Mm, I agree, man. I actually agree with that. What do you think, DY? I pretty much agree with everything that Jack said. Uh, but that being said as well, I think it's very individual based as well. Like, you know, certain divisions, um, obviously gender as well, male, female, depending on, you know, and another thing is also depending on what their starting weight was. If someone had to lose 20 kgs in a prep, it's going to look a whole lot different than someone that only had to lose seven kgs for a prep as well. So um, it's very individual, but like, you know, depending on which route you go, you should also have a chat to your coach. Like I'm sure like all of you boys are pretty much chatted to your clients about probably the route that you are going to take. Um, for myself, I always like, you know, chat collaboratively with my clients to see, you know, where they're at, like in the back end of prep, like, you know, what their goal is coming out of it, like where they roughly want to be. That being said, nearly 90% of competitors pretty much end up where their starting point was within their prep. It's like they're, pretty much if they're sitting around there nearly year round before that like for you dc like you know you pretty much started at like 96 um you know you're pretty much at 96 now same with jack like you know obviously he's pushed the boundaries a lot recently in terms of driving the weight up but they're at a very similar ballpark in terms of the weight and chances are you're going to get back there regardless of what structure you're going to take unless you're extremely adherent to the reverse diet which obviously does have some detrimental side effects as well um obviously you got to stay a lot leaner for a lot longer depending on what divisions you do mm, yeah I, I completely agree with with everything you guys said I, I i'm a big fan of the recovery phase and perhaps pushing up a little bit more assertively initially just because you know i think realistically there's like three things that determine your recoverability it's like increasing calories back up to like optimal ea or perhaps even above it uh number two like putting on enough body fat to be deemed, you know, normal, like your normal kind of set point. And then the third thing is really the time spent there. So, you know, I, I think once you restore those three things, then you, you get back to a, a good place of recovery, meaning that, you know, someone who let's say their calories go up very quickly at the start, let's say they have a less than optimal uh, recovery phase and their, their weight shoots straight back up to a normal place, but it's only been three weeks it's probably unlikely that they're going to feel recovered at that point in time because they haven't ticked off that last variable there, which is the time spent at an adequate set point, you know, thereafter. Um, because I guess these physiological changes to your hormones don't necessarily just fix immediately upon regaining fat mass straight away, you know, and or increasing EA back to a good place. So you kind of need to to spend some time there. And for those individuals, maybe it is a matter of pushing up a little bit higher than than where you were when you started. Like I, I mean, for, for reference, I, I, my, my weight at the moment is sitting around like 93 and I feel pretty good here. Like I had to push up to around 96, 97 after my recovery, probably to feel adequate, adequately recovered at that point. And I think 
Like the harder you stretch that rubber band, the more it hits you, you know, through your recovery phase. In other words, the harder you have to deplete, the harder you like, the more lean you have to get, the longer you have to hold that for, the the more repercussions you're probably going to receive through the recovery phase. And it's going to be individuals for, you know, individualized for everybody. I think some people can handle a, a slower regate, uh, uh, you know, weight, weight gain period than others. And some people just need it to be a bit quicker than others to truly feel recovered. So I think it's very much dependent on, on the individual, which is, you know, what we've kind of highlighted there. And I think there's no black or white answer when it comes to the recovery phase as to what it should look like for, you know, every individual. The answer, like most answers in terms of the fitness industry is more so in the gray as opposed to, you know, the the black and the white. But I've finish- got a question to for Lawrence on that topic as well, just to include him in this in this topic. So you guys are the pros, mate. I was I was like, if it goes to me, I'm just gonna be like, hey, there's three dudes who know a lot more about this than me. But I just want to ask you a hypothetical. So, what, do you think some people can set themselves up for failure in the recovery phase in the sense that they might to think very black and white? Someone might say, or oh, oh, I'm I'm going to get through this comp prep because. I'm going to reward myself at the end. I'm just going to go absolutely ham. And that'll be like, as long, I just need to make it to the end and then I'll just literally binge uh, and pig out. Like would that, would you ever kind of do something like that yourself or think in that fashion? Or do you think people set themselves up for failure by thinking like that? Oh, 100%. I think that the way that you generally try and approach food psychologically is is massively going to impact your post-show experience. Like I remember the first two preps that I did, you know, this first prep in particular where I had like this stash of stuff that I was going to have post-show, most of which was consumed on the first night post-show. And then, you know, in the second prep, I didn't necessarily have a stash of food, but, you know, I was following all these burger pages and dessert pages and, you know, consuming all this content and and it's just like, why am I doing this to myself? So in 2020, you know, when I grew up a little bit and just matured a little bit as an athlete, I was like, all right, look, this is going to bring me absolutely nothing. And if anything, it's going to make it harder. So I just sort of went like, no, I'm just not going to do that stuff. This prep is just silly and certainly made things much easier post-show because I wasn't having this, you know, constant sensory input. So I think that you know, the stuff that you choose to watch, this pages you choose to follow, you know, curate that wisely in prep because, you know, it's amazing how you can find yourself down these like food porn rabbit holes at like three weeks out. And before you know it, you've been scrolling at like images of food for like 40 minutes. And it's just like, I just don't think that's a healthy thing to be subjecting yourself to. Um, But I also do think that a part of transitioning out is also having a prep where, you still eat foods that you enjoy. And I think that is probably the one tricky part. Like we know that for prep, most people will eventually get themselves to the point where they're on somewhat like a meal plan. But I still think that meal plan should look relatively close to what you eat in the off season. It shouldn't just be these, you know, wacky air quote bodybuilding foods that you're never going to touch again because you hate it. Because if you're eating stuff like that and you're constantly just dreaming about this post-show meal, it's going to make it a lot harder. Whereas if you've spent the last 30 weeks or whatever still enjoying what you're eating, still enjoying your food, I think that afterwards, yeah, you want to enjoy some stuff you haven't had in a while, but you're also pretty content with just getting back to your normal meals and just having more of it. 
Mm. Yeah, I think that's so important. I think so many people lose that structure in terms of the recovery phase. It's like they might, you know, in prep, it's all about structure and routine. You know exactly the times which you're eating, when you'll do your steps, when you'll go to sleep, what time you'll train, like, you know, what time you'll work and all those sorts of things. And I think post post show, a lot of people kind of immediately ditch that routine and they're just like, I'll eat when I'm hungry. I'll ravage the the cupboards at all times of the day. Like I'll just, you know, I'll go absolutely nuts. And I think that that routine and structure is completely thrown out. And that's, I guess, an advocate for, you know, having the having a plan in place. I think post-show is just so important. Don't you think some people also like mentally check out towards the end of prep where they're so invested towards the idea of like food after the show and the season hasn't even started yet. So, I mean, I have seen that and I have, you know, talked to some competitors before and, and they're like, oh man, I'm so keen for that post-show meal. Like I'm vouching for it coach what are my calories going to be on you know after the show and it's like man like our season hasn't started yet you're, you're ready to get shows to go, man. you got yeah you got at least four shows or three shows to go like come on we got some work to do like there's some there's a middle there's something in the middle there which is really important it's why you've done the last you know 30 weeks of prep let's not dismiss that just yet the work's not finished like so i think for that competitor who is leading up towards their their shows i think it is so important to continue to have that fixation towards actually being the competitor and competing as opposed to, you know, what your post show is going to look like. And obviously it is easier said than done because we're saying this from a place of good body fat and, and optimal EA, right? We're not, none of us are in those depths of di diet right yet. Perhaps Lawrence, although you haven't I'm really struggling. <laughs> this is <laughs> a cry for help boys. <laughs> His face, face is gaunt and, and eyes are sunken in. So yeah, I would say this is the first emergence of the the diet phase for Lawrence today. It yeah. is a little bit, little bit. Yeah, a few people yeah. at work have started to notice. Like, obviously, like the boys at work, they my mates, so they know that I'm prepping, and they're like, "Oh, we can start to see." Like, it's more the people that like I don't like. I don't know my parents or Gemma haven't really commented because they see me every day, but the people I probably you know see in chunks a little bit more they're starting to notice a bit but mm. yeah the, the cheekbones are coming out a bit more i'm hoping yeah, to can... see this striated uh jaw muscle by the end yeah mate i'm chewing um six sets of uh masseter contractions each day yeah 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 that's uh i mean i reckon you could cut cut glass with that jawline mate oh oh dc <laughs> All right, boys. Well, uh, I think that pretty much wraps up today's uh, episode. I was going to actually ask a question around the ultimate cheat meal, but I think at this point in time with uh, Lawrence's prep, it's probably not ideal to, to speak about these these sorts of sorts of meals. And perhaps these are off the cards until Lawrence uh, finishes his prep, particularly with that extremely striated jawline. Uh, right. This man is is suffering. Yeah. I reckon we save it till about five weeks out, then we repeat the well, same question every week. That's what I'm thinking. Week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's all I'm going to want to talk about then. Anyway, just challenge, so. you know, how much he truly wants it. You know, at we that could, point, right? We could do a top five at five weeks out, and every week we'll just list one and then go into the flavor palette and how good it truly is on a scale of one to well, ten. We'll eat them on yeah. camera as as he's on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe yeah. we can have a sort of a, a poll as to like the you know the the greatest cheat meals and What's we just sit in the podcast. The actual <laughs> podcast just becomes an ASMR of us just sitting there eating our mm. fruits. So what do you reckon? Well, me, D DY and I after that after Worlds, we're going to be straight into the um, Trader Joe's, get ourselves some lean protein and some veggies because job starts. <laughs> prep starts for 2027 baby as soon hey, as we get off that stage the, the work begins 
I just can't mm. wait to pull up on that first day and I have Uber Eats just sitting at the door as Lawrence is sitting there in his Tupperware container. Me and Joe are just sharing a big juicy milkshake and fucking all these bergs. Well, I was thinking that there's going to be, of the four people that are flying over, two of us are not going to be able to consume the airline food. So mm. I think DY and Alana are going to be in a heavy surplus whilst away. <laughs> the cheesecake. Yeah. Air Canada, man, it does it to you. Yeah, I'll, I'll still be accepting it. And then that tray straight over to my boy. Flatten. That's what happened last time when Alana had to go over because she had the WMBF world. So I just doubled down on cheesecake, all this. And good, good service. I'm hoping Tierra doesn't eat um, her airline food. So I'll get yeah. double. There you go. Contributing to those gains. That's right. Alrighty. Well, I think that wraps up another episode of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. Thanks again for joining us today. If you love today's episode, remember to give us a subscribe and an awesome review. And we will certainly see you in the next episode. Bye.